Travis Bruce Murrow was a 40-year-old from Elva, Oklahoma. He was a father and professional bull rider. On August 24, 2014, he left Enid headed toward Oakwood to see a female friend. At just after 10 p.m., Travis left a message telling her to meet him at a local bar. Travis never arrived. His truck was found four miles away. He was never seen again. I'm Ed Denzel, and this is Unfound. Pennsylvania for 28 years before I moved to Las Vegas in 1998. And of course now I live in Florida. But living in a couple different locations has caused me to realize something unique about my home state. In Pennsylvania, if you're traveling any kind of distance, there are usually multiple ways to get where you're going. And they all usually take about the same amount of time. For example, and you can follow along on a map. For my hometown of Leechburg, If you wanted to go to Natrona Heights, you could go through Freeport, or you could go through Lower Borough and go down Leechburg Road, or you could take the bypass around Lower Borough. Whichever direction, it takes about the same amount of time. Even someplace closer, from Leechburg to Apollo, like a 20-minute trip, you could take the River Road, or you could go through Vandergrift, then get on the River Road, or you could go to Vandergrift and go through Oklahoma coincidentally. It's so weird. Well, in the disappearance of Travis Murrow, he was allegedly on a trip from Enid to Oakwood, but his truck was eventually found on a road that doesn't connect those two places. Yet unlike other cases where we try to figure out why a vehicle was found in a certain location, for Travis's case, we may have to figure out what route he took from there to there. And now, summary of the case. This disappearance is not on my friend Megan Good's website, charlieproject.org. But I'm sure it will be soon. Travis Murrow grew up wanting to be a professional bull rider. And that's exactly what he became. And he loved it. Along the way, Travis became a father. Then he got married and had two more children. Yet the sport that he loved so much was the one that started his problems. After several serious injuries... Travis became addicted to painkillers, and then his marriage fell apart. Then Travis's addiction went from opioids to meth. But he never stopped caring for his kids, and in fact making it possible for them to become bull riders too. Yet Travis never quite kicked his vices. So on August 24, 2014, Travis had to travel to Enid to collect some money from a guy who bought one of Travis's vehicles. From there, at approximately 6.30 p.m., Travis had told people he planned to go see one or two women he knew in the ceiling slash Oakwood area. Yet no one was quite sure which one Travis wanted to see first. But at 10.07 p.m., Travis called one of those women, Melanie, and left a message. He said he was in Canton, that his phone was dying, and that he was headed to a local bar near her house. Unfortunately, Melanie didn't get that message until the next morning. By that time, Travis had not reached her home or the bar. Travis was never seen again. A couple days later, 
one of Travis's friends located his truck in an impound lot in Canton. It had been towed and it was out of gas. The facts of this disappearance could point an investigator in a variety of directions. Whatever the theory, these questions must be answered to solve this case. Number one, why was Travis's truck left on a road that was not on any recognized route between Enid and Oakwood? Number two, why did Travis say he was in Canton when his phone's last ping was from Fairview, Oklahoma, 18 miles away? And number three, what was Travis doing in the time span between 6.30 and 10.07 when the trip to Canton from Enid only takes a little over an hour? Due to Travis's addiction and some shady acquaintances, his family believes he could have met with foul play. The guest for this episode is Travis's ex-wife, Christy Murrow. Unfound News Did you catch my guest blog concerning Flight 370 at jeffwise.net? Please check it out if you haven't. And a huge thank you to Jeff for believing my thoughts on the quote-unquote magic side of Flight 370 was worthy of publication. Jeff, thank you. Check out his new book, The Taking of Flight 370, on Amazon. Next, since last Friday, several people have signed up to be transcribers slash formatters for the upcoming Unfound volumes. I appreciate their willingness to help with this huge project, but there are still many spots open. So, if you'd like to give it a shot, and there is pay and perks connected to the work, please contact me through Messenger or at unfoundpodcast at gmail.com. Finally, I've now gotten caught up on all the t-shirts in the Unfound My Shopify store. In addition, shirts have been sent out to all of the recent guests. The supporters on Patreon and PayPal make it all possible. Thank you. Where you can find Unfound. Unfound supports accounts on Podomatic, iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Contribute to Unfound at patreon.com forward slash unfoundpodcast. This week, I need to thank Laura, Miranda, Angela, and Rachel. You can also contribute at PayPal, unfoundpodcast at gmail.com. That is also the email address. Merchandise, the books on Amazon.com in both ebook and print form. Don't forget the reviews. Shirts at myshopify.com forward slash unfound-podcast. Cards at makeplaincards.com forward slash sell forward slash unfoundpodcast. And please mention Unfound at all true crime websites and forums. Thank you. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So happy to have on this episode of Unfound the ex-wife of Travis Murrow, Christy Murrow. Christy, welcome to Unfound. Thank you. Let's start here. I We were just talking before we started this interview. I believe that you are the first ex-wife to be on Unfound just very quickly, how have you found yourself in the position of uh, publicizing Travis's disappearance? 
Okay. Well, uh, Travis and I were together 14 years. Um, between the two of us, we have four children. I have one, he has one, and we have two together. And um, we had been through a lot together. We kind of grew up together. Um, I've known him since high school. And um, despite our, our divorce, we still co-parented very well. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I know he would look for me. So, wow, that's a great sentiment. That's that really at. says something. That really says something. That if you went missing, he would be in your position. Maybe he would be talking to me on Unfound instead of you talking to me. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Okay. Yes. That's interesting. That's a great way to put it. Um, so you two knew each other since high school. So were you high school sweethearts, or did you kind of two get together after school? How did you two get together? Well. He actually went to high school with my cousin, and I had went to my cousin's house to visit a lot during the summer and on on vacations and breaks, and that's where I met him. Mm-hmm. And uh, we dated as far as, I guess, dating goes for sophomores in high school. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> and he, um, you know, that's, that's when we first met. Um, we didn't actually start dating again until after... We had both went to college, and I had uh, I had a previous marriage, and he had a previous relationship, and had a son, and then we we were reunited, um, and we were actually married in ninety five. Nineteen ninety five. Okay. Yes. So you each of you had a child coming into the relationship, into the marriage. Is that correct? Yes. Okay, yes. and then you had how many kids together? Two. Two. Okay, and. So you had a couple children together, uh, two boys, two girls, one of each. Um, we have a our our boy together is twenty one, and then mm-hmm. our daughter together is sixteen. Okay. Okay. And what was Travis into? Uh, probably most interesting to me. Uh, I think that it took up maybe a lot of his um, time. Was he was into bull riding? Yes. Yes. He's he was a cowboy. Um. He rode bulls his whole life, um, all through um, junior bull riding, which is elementary up through junior high and then high school, and then on to college. He he rodeoed at Dodge City um, on on their college rodeo team. So, and was he? Would you say yeah. he was pretty good? He was pretty good. Um, he had several injuries. Um, when we were married, he had filled his PRCA card, so he was on the pro circuit. Um, and yes, he he rode bulls forever. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, okay, so that was uh, his main interest. Uh, he was a professional, but when you say professional, did he have like what we call quote unquote a regular job or? Yes, did he, he be- did. Okay, um, he did ranch work, cowboying. He worked at feed yards. Um, he had would build cattle shoots. Um, he worked for a company in Kansas where they built cattle shoots. Um, he was always in kind of the agriculture industry, okay. but yes, he did have a regular job. Okay, so he had the regular job, and then he was doing uh, this bull riding on the side. But he was—you could still be a professional. You can be uh, do that probably and make a couple bucks there if you're good enough. Said he'd been doing yeah. that uh, for uh, most of his life. Uh, you said that he had a lot of injuries. Can you detail some of the injuries that come to mind? <laughs> um, broke his neck. Um, 
he landed directly on top of his head and um, fractured his C3. Um, he actually got up and walked out of the arena on that um, and went to the doctor a week later <laughs> to discover that he had broken his C3. Um, he broke his wrist and several times, ended up having surgery on his hand and his wrist. Um, he broke his femur. Let's see. Um, that was in 2002. And it was a compound fracture. Both ends of the bone came out the side of his leg. He has a titanium rod from his hip to his knee because of that injury. So he's had several. Wow. What was that like for you as his wife? Uh, I'm guessing that you went to see him ride at least some of the time. Uh, yes. Nervousness, you know, kind yes. of a little fear <laughs> going to sitting there in the bull ring watching. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it, it was a lot of nerves uh, for sure. Um, Mm-hmm. But, I, uh, I bet it was. Yeah. Okay, I bet <laughs> very, it was. I, I'm interesting sure. lifestyle. All right, but you knew, but I guess you knew what you were you were getting into, right? I mean, he didn't hide that yeah. from you. You knew very well that he was into that, and that you just kind of accept it. Yeah. And he loved it. So what are you going to do? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, exactly right. <laughs> okay. So, uh, did he continue to bull ride? Uh, we know that he was 40 years old when he disappeared. Was he? still bull riding or did he give it up at some point he had given it up um he was actually he had posted one of his last posts on his facebook was that he was entered in the local rodeo here in arnett oklahoma where i live um with both of our boys our our kids bull ride as well and so this was the first time he was going to be able to enter with both of the boys. So all three of them were going to be competing at the local rodeo that year. Wow. And how did you, the mother, so, feel about that? How do you feel about your sons doing that? Same thing, right? Maybe even worse. A little nerves? My sons have ridden their whole lives as well. Um, okay. My oldest son went to college on a rodeo scholarship. Wow. Um, so so it has been a part of their life as well. Oh, great. Well, congratulations to him. That's spectacular. Okay. So when was that? Do you remember he disappeared on August 24th, 2014? Do you remember when that rodeo was going to be, when the three of them were going to be competing together? It was um, the last, either the first, last weekend in August or the first weekend in September. Okay, so, so it was like um, a week or maybe in two yes. weeks before. Okay, so it was fairly close. Okay. But we do know uh, that you are not his wife. Uh, you are his ex-wife. When would you say, and I think this is going to be at least a little important to maybe understand this disappearance, um, when did the problem start, if you can say? Um, him and I divorced in 2005. Um, he, we, we had the whole on again, off again. Uh, we probably tried to, to work it out um, at least four more times. Um Mm -hmm. Before we finally just had to divorce and and be done, mm -hmm. um, he um, as far as the problems, he he managed to hold a job the whole time we were married, um, but he did have a lot of injuries, and and I think that played into quite a bit of 
what was causing some of our problems. So. Mm-hmm. So you were married for about 10 years? And, yeah. okay, so you got married in 1995, got divorced in 2005. And just as a reminder, he disappeared uh, approximately nine years later. Um, mm-hmm. But it was through those injuries he started – he got caught up on pain pills? Yes. Um, he, um, he had, like I said, he had had lots of injuries. He had, um, a car wreck too, prior to Mm. any of this. And so he had had several other injuries in addition to the rodeo injuries. So, um, Mm -hmm. I, I found myself, um, giving him any prescriptions that I had, to be honest. Um, I had several surgeries myself, um, knee injuries, ankle injuries, and children. And and I would find myself giving those to him. Okay. So would you say I know you're I, I don't think that you're a medical professional, but would you say that he was uh, was this sort of an opioid addiction? Yes, I would. Okay. Well it's I want you to know, Christy, that's uh something that comes up on Unfound quite a bit. We do talk mm-hmm. about addictions and and things related to that quite a bit on this program. Sometimes they're related to disappearances. Sometimes they're not. But I, I always want to be honest with my listeners. Uh, we're not going to get too much deeper into that. But uh, I just want you to know that it's a very common story you know, on this program. And uh, just in the wider aspect of the United States, there's a huge opioid addiction problem going on there, not just with bull riders. So, Correct. Um, and so that uh, kind of drove a wedge. Was that one of the things that you believe led to your divorce? Um, that and financial difficulties. I mean, it was life was just kind of hard for us okay. at that point. Okay. Um, okay. We can move on. Um, but you got a divorce. But my understanding, though, is that the two of you um, kept you know you're cordial between each other and. Um, Travis was a very good father to the two children you had to get together. Yes, actually he was, he was a good father even to my son okay. and, and to his as well. Um, he, he never treated my oldest boy any different. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that's probably why my oldest boy went to college on a rodeo scholarship, you know, because mm-hmm. of Travis's influence. Wow. Um, there was never a question whether he was his boy or not. It, you know, they always just were. Mm-hmm. So. So it sounds like Travis is a pretty good guy. It's just he got caught up, as many people do. They get an injury, they get on some pain medication, and then certain people can't get off of it. That that happens quite a bit. Okay, so after the divorce, um, those years after, let's just say 2006, 2007, 2008, maybe onward, um, how did you think he was doing being a single guy again? Um, Did you see him very often? I mean, what, what was your general opinion? How was he doing? Um, well, he was kind of he was running amok there for a while. Yeah. Um, he you know he was kind of enjoying the single life and and you know uh, he did he did go out and uh, change jobs a couple of times and um you know experienced the single life he mm-hmm. moved around a little bit. Um. And he would have only been he, thirty he at the time a- or something like that. Thirty thirty years old. Yes. Okay. Okay. So, um, he, um, there was, you know, there were a few, a few years in there where we didn't exactly see eye to eye and didn't get along. Mm. Um, 
there were a few years in there. Mm-hmm. Um, thank goodness we had uh, put that behind us um, prior to this. Um, so, uh, yeah, there were there were years that we didn't necessarily communicate on on such a good level as we did right before okay. he went missing. So okay, but he was keeping in touch uh, with your children. Always. Always. Yes. And did Always. you have some sort of uh, custodial arrangement, or did you two just work that out yourselves? Or um, it w- it was in the paperwork, of course, like every other weekend holidays. Mm-hmm. Um, we just worked together on that. Um, I wasn't going to keep the kids from him. Um, you know, if he had something come up and needed to change plans that, that didn't affect what we were doing. Um, he would still get the kids when, when he wanted to, he took them to all of their rodeos throughout the summer. Um, and I would, I would just go and and watch But he would actually do that with them. So, um, that's kind of how it went. Did you ever maybe get any idea that over the years he was quite hanging out with any questionable people? Uh, and, and probably I need to ask, did his addiction continue? Um, not necessarily um, having issues with, I didn't necessarily know, um, you know, all of the people. Most of the people that he was running around with was within the rodeo world that okay. I had met, I mean, as far as acquaintances, but not necessarily knew them. Mm-hmm. So I knew who they were, um, okay. but you know that was kind of the people he hung out with and uh, spent time with. So. Okay, but his addiction that he had while you two were married continued on. Uh, I'm assuming yes. Okay, I'm sure it did. Okay, did he uh, was he working? I mean, was he working a job like you said, farmhand, et cetera, the whole way up until he. Uh, disappeared in august 2014 was he keeping like a steady job and and that no no he wasn't um he had uh he had changed jobs several times and there around mm, probably 2008 on up to probably 2013 he struggled with jobs he worked odd jobs off and on and he was living in ceiling um he had a, a girlfriend that he lived with mm-hmm. and I think she um you know, she she worked all of the time but um Okay. She, she was, was helping him out. She was yeah. helping him out. Okay. Yes. Uh but there were and once again the only reason I'm bringing this up because this is public information, there were a couple warrants for her his arrest and my perception that these things have maybe gotten a little blown out of proportion. Um, so I want to give you an opportunity to talk about them because you will see some things out there saying that, well, maybe he ran off because of these warrants. Uh, the way you understand them, and I'm, I'm not saying you have in-depth knowledge of them, but um, are these serious charges or, or what are they? There there were a couple that were. Um, in 2008, he had a possession of paraphernalia and possession of CDS. Um 2009, I think he had a um, couple of driving under suspensions. Um, But as far as the the serious charges, those were the two in 2008. Um, The other things were driving under suspension and things Mm -hmm. like that. Um, And I think all of that had been taken care of. My understanding on as far as the warrants go is because he was behind on fines. Okay. 
So these were not the warrants were not out for his arrest because of any violent felonies or any uh burglary, robbery, anything like that. Nothing like that. No. Okay. No. Um the there were a, a couple of charges, assault and battery. Hmm. And actually um uh one one was against me and one was against uh my husband at the time. Hmm. So um there was an altercation when we were picking up children. And wow. um and so, um, yeah, there was an issue there. What year um, did that happen? Do you remember? Uh, I want to say 2008, 2009. I okay. Um, so it it was right along in there. Okay, but that would you say that that was all? Did he ever go to jail? Was it was that all cleared up by 2014? Yes, it was. Okay. And did did I just have to ask me? He never harbored any ill will. Was this just a one-time thing? Was he just in a bad mood? Did things just go kind of sideways quickly? Um, well, actually, him and I were having a conversation, and the person I was with at, at the time um, kind of intervened in our conversation and created that situation. Hmm. And I, I got caught in the crossfire. And, um, I mean, I, I was hit, and so was the other person. Um, okay. and, and so that's where the assault came. Okay. Uh, it was actually initiated by the person. <laughs> okay, so it was not initiated person. by it Travis. You're, initi- you're, you being there, it was not initiated by Travis. That's correct. I was, okay. I was standing right between them, actually. So. Okay. Um, All right, but just for the record, as of his disappearance, you and Travis were on very good terms. Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. So had some things could be connected, maybe to. Um, you know, this addiction just uh we're just hard to say, but um doesn't seem like that violent of a guy or anything like to me. And like you said, you had no problems, your children being around him, he was a good father. I understand that, you know, he would, you know, call his kids all the time, etc. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Okay. Let's just talk very quickly about a couple women you know, we you did note that when he got back, uh, was single again, he, uh, to put it your way, uh, he ran amok a little bit. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. these were a couple women that are, I think are going to play a role just in the events of the day that he disappeared. Who is Melanie Yates? Uh, Melanie was a girl that he met through, uh, one of his friends. He had actually been dating one of his friends that lived in the ceiling area. And, and that is Melanie. Um, okay. He hadn't. He hadn't really. It's my understanding that he hadn't really ran around with her very often, and mm-hmm. that was kind of in the later part of uh, of the probably 2013, early 2014. Okay, so that was not a woman that you would say that uh, Travis knew back at the time you got divorced or shortly after that. No. Okay, no, so that was a woman he met later like you said maybe 2012 2013 and and we will talk about the 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 guy that she knew that was the common i guess mutual friend of both of them and here in a moment there is another okay. uh woman april unfortunately i did not get her last name april her last name is gore like al gore g-o-r-e okay yes. okay okay april gore and any idea how they met, and I think when you said that he was living with a woman in Sealing, this is the woman you met? Yes, that's correct. He was okay. living with April. Okay. Um, April and I had been friends. We had worked together um, 
and April and I had known each other. Travis had also known her husband. They had rodeoed together. And so it was just, I mean, we were all just kind of mutual acquaintances. We all knew each other. So um, that is how he knew April. All right. So I'm guessing it sounds to me like you knew April a lot better than you knew Melanie. Yes. Okay. Uh, Any, how would you, in your opinion, once again, I know you're your ex-wife, you have your own private life. Uh, Just what you can remember uh, about Travis and these women, of course, we know this disappearance is going to be five years old here in August, but back then, do you think that he was serious about either of these women or these women he just saw once in a while, but he did live with one of them? Did you think that these relationships were going anywhere? Your opinion? Yes. Um, he was, he was serious with April. Um, hmm. you know, they, they were, um, she was really good to him. She was really, really good to him. And, and he was serious about her. Um, I, I don't know exactly what the turn of events was that, um, caused them to break up, but, hmm. um, I, I haven't really asked her that, okay. but, um, no, she, she was very good and very supportive of him. So, um, yeah, she was good. Okay. Do you know approximately the year that they broke up? 2012, 2013? Or... I want to say 2013. Okay. All right, we're going to talk about one more person, and this is the mutual friend of Melanie and Travis. His name is Tony Howling Buffalo. That is his real name. So he's Native American? Yes, that's correct. All right, that's, all, that's why his name is that. Okay. Uh, my understanding is the two met through bull riding. Yes. Yes. Tony, Tony and Travis also, uh, rodeoed together through the junior rodeos and and high school rodeos, things like that. So yes, that's how they knew each other. Okay. Um, did you ever have an opportunity to meet Tony? Did he ever come over to your house or you, you met him some at some of these events? Yes. Uh, he never came to my house or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But yes, we've seen Tony out at all of the rodeos and things like that. So, right. Yes. Okay. And uh, you stated that Tony and Melanie were a couple at one time. Yes. The, the way they you, were. once again, I know that you don't know these pri- private lives. Maybe you heard that since 2014, since uh, Travis's disappearance, but you learned that at some point before. Travis and Melanie kind of got together a little bit that Tony and Melanie were a couple. Yes, that's correct. Okay. All right, let's move up. So we've covered a few people, names that uh, the listeners will be hearing here in a bit. But those days and weeks um, before Travis disappeared, maybe we'll just say the summer of 2014, the way you remember back then, anything that seemed unusual to you, um, maybe you were seeing him once in a while, or you were talking to him. Your, of course, your kids were talking to him. Anything that during the summer of 2014 maybe seemed a li- little bit odd or uh, out of the ordinary compared to the prior years, the way you look at it? No. Um, actually, he was doing much better. Um, he had uh, rented a, a house with a with a roommate. He was working. Um, he was he was starting to to do better. So, um, you know, that's the only thing uh, that I can say about that. He, he was doing well. So. Okay. And, uh, get along. He was calling your kids. They were hanging out mm-hmm. with him. They were going places. 
Um, like you said, you even credit Travis with eventually getting your son from another relationship into college. So obviously he was uh, tutoring or mentoring uh, your son fairly well. Um, mm -hmm. How about his addiction? After, of course, by this point, he'd been divorced nine years. You said he was doing better. Do you think he was handling that better, too, your perception? Um, I, I believe he was. Um, I, be, I believe things were getting better for him, and, and that's part of it, I think, is that he was um, trying to clean up. So. Um, Okay. Any money issues or, I mean, like you said, he wasn't with April anymore. He found a roommate and this would have been in Elva, Oklahoma? Elva? Yes, in Alva, yes. A-L-V-A, Oklahoma. Okay. And he had a roommate and he was, um, during around the time, he was driving uh, your son's truck. Would it, would it be the yes, son that you correct. and he had together or the son that you had from a re different relationship truck? My oldest. Your oldest. Um, yes, it was my uh, oldest son. Yes. Okay, so he lent it out to him, or he just kind of gave it to him. He he was loaning it to him. Yeah. Loaning. Okay. How long had that been going on? That entire summer? Or um. Yes. Yes. Um. He had he needed it to get back and forth to work. Um. He had had a vehicle. Um. That he had sold to a friend of his. But I think it needed some repairs and things like that, and it wasn't something that he could afford to fix. So. Um. I think he sold it to his friend. Okay. So he was driving my son. Yes. All right. And this will be the truck later that's discovered. And so it actually wasn't Travis's truck. It was your son's truck when we talk about yes, that later. Correct. Okay. Yes. So things seemed like they were kind of getting better. Once again, I'm not saying you would have known his personal life, but at least all the outward signs is that, uh, did he seem depressed? Ever talked to anybody about walking off, leaving, suicide, anything like that? Not that I know of. Um, he had, like I said, he had been doing doing very well. The Saturday prior to his disappearance, he had actually went to the rodeo in Cherokee, Oklahoma, with my oldest son. Hmm. Um, he was he was involved in things still. Um, I, I don't I don't think so. I had a text conversation with him Friday night prior prior to his disappearance. So two days and, before and August think, August 22nd. Yes, that's correct. All right, you texted back and forth on him. Seemed like uh, good old Travis. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes. And you're saying that when you say the Saturday before, do you mean the day before he went to yes. this? Okay, so August 23rd, he was with your oldest son. And um, they went to a rodeo event together the day before. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's move up to August 24th, 2014, the the day in question. It was a Sunday. Um, yeah. Of course, a lot of this is uh, what you learned afterwards. You, of course, were not in the truck with him and did not see these things firsthand. But what have you learned since then? And we'll get into when you found out that he was missing and how that all happened. But what have you learned about what? Travis did just times and locations and things uh the people that he might have seen that day what have you learned since uh this day August 24th 2014 what did he do um he left Alva to go to Enid um to pick up a payment for the truck he had sold to his friend okay and uh the listeners should already know that I will be posting some maps uh maps and we haven't talked about Travis's friend Scott. I got to speak to him um 
and I'm going to talk a little bit about that discussion afterwards. Uh, but um, Scott made some maps for me, and I deeply appreciate pointing out some things. And I'll make probably some of my own maps, some of my own maps as well, to post in the discussion group on the Unfound Facebook page, so people can understand this. But he went from Alva to Enid, which is kind of a southeast location. And so he was going to get money for a truck he sold to a friend of his. Just what is that friend's name? Just his first name. Jeff. Jeff? Jeff. Jeff, J-E-F-F. Okay. Yes, sir. And, okay. And then what do you think that he had planned from there? From, from what I understand from talking to my oldest son, he had told um, my oldest son that he would be coming back later that night, and he was probably going to stay at Melanie's. Okay. And Melanie lives in a town near a town called Oakwood, which is southwest of Enid, and they're not maybe an hour and something drive from Enid to um, Oakwood where Melanie lives. Okay. And, however, as we've talked about this over and over and over, and I've looked at the, the maps and everything else, you think he was planning to go to Melanie, but you have a suspicion maybe that you have proof that you learned later that he was trying to contact April at the same time. How did how did you find that out, and where does she live? Um, April told me, um, okay. and she lives in Sealing. All right, so Sealing is also to the southwest, but more west and south from Enid. So you, so he's in Enid. Maybe has an idea that maybe he wants to go see April, but maybe he's going to see um, Melanie. But um, what did April tell you uh, about that evening? He was trying to contact her, but what did she do? She did not respond. Um, she had several text messages from him, and he and she never responded. So okay, uh, I, I'm guessing. It, it, are we to interpret that maybe she had maybe just moved on? From Travis, yes. she kind of yes. Okay, it was over, but Travis maybe was trying to see her anyway. She doesn't want mm -hmm. to see him. Okay, so instead, maybe Travis was going to go to Melanie's. Once again, she lives near Oakwood. Um, and the, once again, we're just covering the facts. So we believe that he was headed toward Melanie's, and there is proof of this because Travis did call Melanie. Um that night and what was the generality of that message that he, his phone was about to die and that um if she could come pick him up at the seven mile bar okay and several mile bar is not far from where she lives correct and I, I believe in the message he said he was in canton all right canton oklahoma is a city between enid and oakwood you'd kind of probably have to go through Canton to get to Oakwood. And once again, for anybody listening, uh, I'm going to be posting maps as many places that I can uh, post so you can understand what we're talking about here because I think that understanding the roads and locations and the path that Travis uh, might have taken is very important to this case. And you've actually – you didn't just take Melanie's word on that. You actually heard that message later. She actually played the message for you. Yes. Okay. And that has been, you know, almost five years ago. So I understand. Um, that. I don't know how well my memory serves me sometimes. That's, but, um, that's fine. You can only do your best. Well, what we're trying to establish is there is proof 
that Travis was headed to Melanie's because we have the phone call. This isn't a rumor. This is a message right. that you heard on her uh, from her, I guess, voicemail or answering machine. And what time was that call made on August 24th, 2014? Just a little bit after 10. Okay. In that message, the way you remember, and I've talked to Scott about this too, and your recollection and his, I think, are very similar, is the, does Travis mention anything about running out of gas? I don't. I don't recall that mm-hmm. part. I recall the phone. Um, it was pretty common for him to be on the closer to Eve and uh, mm-hmm. school, but I don't recall that being a part of the message. Okay. All right. So, and this will be important later. So he makes this call, says for Melody to come pick him up at this particular bar, but in anywhere in the message, and Scott says he does not remember the the term running out of gas at all. Um, Does Travis, once again, to your recollection, say anything about how he had to leave his truck anywhere? Did Did you get the impression that he was walking? Anything like that? You know, um... I don't think so. Um, mm-hmm. I, from what I recall, he just he sounded a little bit irritated that that maybe she didn't answer. Mm-hmm. Um, he wasn't just terribly upset, but he indicated that his phone was about to die and that he he would need a ride. Um, okay, but I, but I don't recall. Okay, and did he happen to say what road he was on? Honestly, um, I don't recall that either. I recall that he said he was in Canton. Okay. You said he was in a city. Didn't necessarily say what road he was on or anything like that. Once again, this closely mirrors uh, Scott's recollection, who also got to hear the message. Okay. What have you learned? Now, we need to establish this. Is there some reason that Melanie, the way you understand it, what you found out that she did not pick up the phone when Travis called. What what she had indicated to me, I spoke to her about three days after this, after okay. he went missing. Okay. And she indicated to me that she had told him she was going to bed at ten o'clock. And mm-hmm. so that was why she didn't answer when it was shortly after ten that he called. Okay. And according to what Melanie told you, when did she actually end up hearing this message then? She said she didn't see it or see that she had a message until the next morning. Okay. So just to put this in the timeline, uh, Travis is an Enid. He decides that, uh, and my understanding uh, is that he might have been an Enid uh, around at the latest 6.30 in the evening. Then he decides to drive to Melanie's, and there's a lot of time space in there, which we'll talk about later, but um, at approximately 7 after 10 that night, he calls Melanie. She doesn't pick up, and she told you because she went to bed at 10, maybe she turned the ringer off on her phone. Who knows? She didn't um, hear the phone ring. Right. Okay. All right, and then she didn't even know that Travis called until the next morning. But even though Melanie missed Travis's call at 10.07 that night, um, she did tell you, though, that she did pick up the phone later uh, for somebody else that called. She personally told you this? Yes. 
Okay. And who was that person that called her 23 minutes after Travis called? Tony Howling Buffalo. Okay. And did she tell you what that conversation was about? Let's not try to interpret her feelings or anything, but just did she tell you what the conversation was about? No, she did not. Okay. But she volunteered that? Yes. Okay. All right. So to surmise all of this, she wake up, wakes up the next morning. She's expecting maybe Travis to show up at her place. He doesn't. She wakes up the morning, the next morning. She's alone. Travis isn't there. She checks her message. This is the way we understand it. And then he says that the night before, she was supposed to go meet, and up, meet him at some bar. To your knowledge, does, did Travis ever make it to that bar? Did anybody ever see him at the bar that night? Not that I'm aware of. Okay. Um, I went out and asked. And um, nobody had said they had seen him. Okay. So he said he was headed to that bar. But uh, once again, to your knowledge, and you've been working on this case, uh, and the police have done what they could do um, for four and a half years, and nobody's ever come forward to say that Travis was seen at that bar. That's correct. Okay. The next day, that would be Monday, August 25th. When did you or someone else get the word that Travis – might be missing. How did that all happen the next day? I received a phone call from my oldest son that um, he had went by his dad's work. He normally stopped by on his way to college and would take him a, a Dr. Pepper and uh, some candy. Hmm. And um, my oldest son had called and uh, let me know that he was not at work and that his phone was going straight to voicemail. At that point on Monday morning. So Monday morning, maybe at 9 a.m., 10 a.m., something uh, like that? Probably, it was probably about 10 when uh, my oldest son called me. Okay. All right, so he, as soon as he hears this, um, what did you do? What did you, let me just ask you this. What did you think when he told you that? What did you think? Your first impression? Um, I thought he may be in jail. Okay got in trouble for something. Maybe uh, Travis didn't have a driver's license, did he? No, he did not. Okay. So maybe that's a possibility. He got pulled over for driving without a license. Okay. So your first thought, he might've got put in jail. Maybe he had, would have done have to do with these warrants or maybe he did something new. Uh, so did you call around? Did your oldest son call around trying to track Travis down? Um, I, I had told my son just to go on to class and not worry about it, and I would deal with it. And so I called all of the sheriff's departments in the area. That's when my oldest had told me what the plan was, that he was going to Enid and had planned to come back and probably stay mm. at home. So um, that's, that was kind of the, okay. the area that I focused on was the local police departments and sheriff's departments in that area. Okay. And we have to, once again, he had to go to work on Monday morning. So if he went down to Melanie's, if that was his plan, and of course he didn't disappear, he's way down there in Oakwood. And I actually mapped this out for myself and the listeners. It's about an hour and a half drive from Oakwood the whole way back up to Elva. So he would have had to have left at like 6.30 in the morning on Monday morning to make it to work on time back in Elva. That's correct. So, something like that. Okay. Yeah. And did you, when you were calling around on Monday, you did you actually talk to Melanie that day, or you didn't say you said you didn't talk to her for a few days? Did you try calling her? 
Um, I spoke with her on the 27th. Okay. was the first time I actually spoke with Melanie. Um, I was calling sheriff's departments, hospitals. Mm-hmm. I did go ahead and call all, all of the local hospitals as well mm-hmm. um, to see if there had been an accident or something. Um, and and that's when I, uh, you know, that we had exhausted all of that by Monday evening. And so um, that's when I called. I, I was actually got in touch with April first. Okay, and so you reached. Uh, just though to be clear, did you try calling Melanie that Monday? To your to your recollection, no, no, okay. no. Okay, so we have Monday called around. Nobody's seen him. Uh, no um, appearances of him uh, at any hospital. Of course, he was uh, going toward an area not where you, near where you live, correct? Oakwood is not near where you live. Okay, no, so it is not. so you wouldn't share maybe the same uh, police or same sheriff's office, anything like that. So we moved yeah. from Monday. Still, uh, nobody's heard from him. He hasn't called you or any of uh, your children. Uh, we get to the next day, and then it wasn't uh, maybe more of the same on that Tuesday. The, once again, the best of your recollection. Yes. Um, that is, I, I believe it was the Tuesday, uh, when I posted a post on Facebook, Hey, if anyone sees Travis, have mm. him call me, please. Okay. Um, so, um, I believe that was on Tuesday. Um, that is also when I called, uh, I spoke with April, I spoke with mm. Scott and I had also called Travis's brother. Okay. And I, and I had been in contact with his mother as well. Okay. And when you talked to April that Tuesday, that would now be August 26th, uh, is that when you found out that he had been texting her, trying to reach her that Tuesday? Yes. On that pre- yes. the Sunday? Okay. Yes. And at that point, if you can say, did she offer up any opinion on what could have happened to Travis? Because I'm going to guess maybe she knew, even though the two weren't a couple anymore, she might know a little bit more about Travis's private life than you did at that point. What she told me that day was she's actually the one that um, pointed me in Melanie's direction. She knew that they were having some sort of a relationship, uh, mm-hmm. friendship, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, April is the one that, that told me to contact Melanie that she may know. Okay. All right. And that might go in line with what uh, your oldest son told you? Yes. About, you know, him planning to go sell his truck and then maybe go to Melanie. So now two different people are telling you kind of the same story. That's correct. Okay. So once again, as you've already stated, on Wednesday, this would be the 27th of August, the Wednesday, you finally get to speak to Melanie. And yes. we've already talked about the answering machine. Is that at the, is that the point you got to hear this answering machine message? Yes, I sent her a couple of messages on Facebook Messenger, and she responded. She did call my phone number. I I had put my phone number on there for her to call me, and she did, and we spoke. And and that was when I heard the message the first time. And then uh, I think she played it again when I was with Scott at at a different time. Okay. And... Please explain the conversation. Besides hearing the message, just explain the conversation the way you recollect it. The conversation with Melanie? Yes, please. Okay. Um, I just I had told her that um, 
we were looking for Travis and that April had let me know that, that he may be seeing her and, and that that may be where I needed to start looking. And she, at that point, indicated that um, she had been looking as well. Okay. And so she said that Travis never made it to her place, um, of course. And she never did go up to the bar to find out if he ever made it there. I mean, what did she ever explain explicitly what she had done since maybe Monday morning when she discovered that Travis didn't end up at her place? Did she give you any idea of what she had done personally? No, she did not. Okay. All right. Um, did she have anything to say about Travis during this conversation? Um, she had later sent me a couple of text messages, uh, like screenshots of their text messages. Um, just, I don't know. I, I really don't know what that was about. It had nothing to do with whether he was coming over or not. Mm-hmm. It was more so um, banter, kind of back and forth, kind of flirtatious type text. It wasn't any anything of any relevance about where he was going or what he was doing or anything like that. Okay. Okay. So we have a guy who was headed to, I don't know if we call her girlfriend, but a, a romantic interest in Melanie and he never got there. And of course, at this point, not only is Travis missing, but the vehicle he was driving, your oldest son's truck is missing at that point too, correct? Yes. Okay. All right, now we move to what we generally call an unfound the rest of the case. We're going to get a little bit more. We're going to continue on to get a little further out from the disappearance date, and also we're going to go back and maybe pick apart a few things in a little bit more depth. At what point uh, do the police actually become involved? Who files the missing persons report? Where is it filed? Um, you know, Just talk a little bit about your uh, interaction with the police that first week or two weeks. Let's go through that. Okay. Um, I I began by contacting Dewey County. Of course, I had called Dewey County in my search for him originally, and they indicated to me that he was not locked up. And so I... Uh, well, you're going to have to explain. Dewey him. County is where? What city is in Dewey County? Uh, Tologa is the county seat. Um, <clears throat> that is the ceiling area. Okay. Canton Lake area. Um, there's... I believe two counties that are right there close, Blaine County and Dewey County. Okay. I just want to make it clear why you picked that county first. You didn't pick the county where he lived, which was Elva. You picked a county in the area where you think he was headed? Yes. Okay, great. So it's Dewey County, and what'd they say? Uh, They had not seen him. They uh, they seemed... uh, I don't know how to say this. Um, unconcerned that he mm-hmm. was missing, they felt that he had taken off. They felt that he left, um, okay. and that he would turn back up. That they were pretty um, disinterested in filing any kind of missing persons or anything like that. Mm. Okay. Well, that's not helpful, is it? No. <laughs> okay. No, it wasn't. All right. Okay. Um, then, what? Who did you talk to next? Um, somewhere in the midst of that, that's where the pickup was actually, when the pickup was actually found. Okay. Um, and, and it was found actually by 
Scott. Yeah, that's Five yeah, and this is very this is very interesting um, how he found it, and I talked to Scott about this, but uh, go through the explanation of how it was found and what on what date it was found. Um, Scott and Wendy had been driving around the area. Um, Wendy is Scott's wife. Um, okay. They were driving around the area. They had went through Canton, and they actually noticed the little purple pickup in the impound yard huh. at a wrecker service. Wow. That's uh that's some luck there. That's one of the more I not to, I believe Scott, I totally believe him. I've talked to him. I believe him. Uh, when I say it's certainly lucky, uh that is certainly a uh a coincidence that he yep. happened. Out of all the trucks in Oklahoma he runs of course of course it was purple so maybe it stuck out. <laughs> Um, <laughs> there aren't too many purple pickups out there, I'm guessing, but so he right. was looking, he's driving through Canton, Oklahoma. So once again, is could be on the way from Enid to Oakwood where Melanie lived and he sees it at this towing yard. What does he do? Um, he stopped and he spoke to the, the man that owns the wrecker service and found out where the vehicle had actually been towed from. Okay. And did he let you know right away? And uh, what county is this? Is this where the missing persons report was finally filed? No. Uh, yes, he did let me know. Mm-hmm. No, it is not. When I contacted Dewey County again to let them know that the vehicle was in the impound yard, uh-huh. um, they they instructed me to file <clears throat> the missing persons report through Alva Police Department. Even though Alva is nowhere, even though that's where Travis lived, that's not where he disappeared from, and that's certainly not where the truck was found. Correct. Um, they said it needed to originate from where he lived. Yeah. Do you uh, now that I know you know a lot more about missing persons cases now than you did in 2014? That's not quite right, is it? No, no, it isn't. <laughs> okay. So uh, maybe you got the idea now that maybe they were trying to blow you off a little bit? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And where the truck was found, is that in Dewey County or is that in some other county? Dewey County. It is in Dewey County. Okay. Yes. So um, did you drive down there to check out the truck? Was Scott able to get inside the truck to see if anything was odd, anything like that at that point? No. 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 Um. After the be on the lookout for Travis and the vehicle was issued through Alva PD, um, he kept stayed in impound until until we could get OSBI involved in the case. Okay. And how long did that take? Um, I want to say it took me about a week, week and a half. Okay. And would you say that that was then about two weeks? After Travis's disappearance? Pretty close to that, yes. Okay, so we're already talking maybe the first week of September. Uh, yes, I, actually, I think um, I filed when I, I kind of had a meltdown and we had been driving the, the roads out there looking for any signs of him. And I went to Dewey County and attempted to file a report. And I want to say, I ran across that paper the other day. I want to say it said September 1st okay. on my report. 
All right, so you filed. Um, so it was only a week later, week and a day. Yes. After Travis disappeared, but OSBI got involved after that. That's correct. Okay. Um, you weren't able to get to the truck right away, but the towing service did tell you or Scott or both uh, together where the truck was. And where was it? Um, it was blocking a pasture entrance um, on a blacktop road that they refer to as Indian Road. I don't know what the road number is, um, but it had been parked in, in a pasture entrance. So it was blocking a cattle guard. Okay. And it was on a road called Indian Road. That's correct. Okay. And I, I'm uh, I'm going to give it a, the best shot of explaining where this was. But once again, for this particular case, you're going to have to access uh, the maps that I will post in the discussion group uh, and on the NFUM Facebook page uh, to really understand some of these locations. But this location of the where the truck was allegedly found is kind of let's say, northwest of Canton. We remember that on his message, he said he was in Canton, but the truck was found northwest of Canton, at least a few miles. And uh, I think the listeners are going to discover that it really would not have been where the truck was found was not on the way from Enid to Oakwood. Is that that's uh, correct? And that's correct. All right. So it was a little yes. where it was found. It was a little out of the way. Um and once again, if you look at the maps, you'll be able to tell that to the listeners. Um, so did you go out there? Um, is there a reason? Did, did the owner of the land call it in? Why did it get towed? It, it was blocking the entrance to a pasture, and so the owner of the land called and had it towed. Okay, called and had it towed. Do you know when that towing happened? Would that have been like on Monday? Do you know? Um, I don't know. Um, I want to say Scott found it Wednesday, Tuesday or Wednesday. I can't, I can't okay. remember what day Scott found it. Um, okay. but it would have had to have been either that day or or either Monday or or Tuesday, I believe. Okay, so you you think that he found the truck before you ended up talking to Melanie, or maybe even the same day? Could be the same day. Maybe I think so. Yeah, I think so. Okay, so maybe that Wednesday, August twenty seventh. And I realize it's four and a half years ago. Um, so did you go out there? Did uh, I understand there was? And once the truck was still in the impound lot, maybe you couldn't get to it, even though it was your own son's truck and not Travis's. Uh, did people go out? Did you go out to that area? I know Scott went out to that area. Start looking around, walk the area. Would you, what worst kind of searches were done where this truck was allegedly towed from? Yes. Um, it started, uh, Scott and his wife and April, uh, they all went over there that day after the vehicle, after the pickup was found. And they were walking uh, around the, you know, the ditches in the air, road area around that where the pickup was. Mm -hmm. Um, I went later that evening. I had worked that day. And so I went later that evening, um, and, and did the same. Okay. And how long would you say that these searches and, and was the owner of that land? I mean, was he fairly nice about going out there and trying to, um, find Travis? How, how was he or she? Well, it, it's a, she, um, I honestly, I don't know if we ever had contact with her to search her 
property. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if, if we actually gained, if, you know, gained permission to go onto the property. I don't believe she lives in the area. Now, Scott had went further, you know, just, just down to the next house and spoken and spoke with that farmer mm-hmm. and he did allow him access. And so that was kind of where it started. Okay. How many, um, searches would you say were done out there? Would you say that they were quite extensive, you know, up and down um, the road, would, off the road? Right. Um, several of, several of us have had went numerous times to up and down the road area. Um, we did hire a private investigator um, last year who helped coordinate another search, mm-hmm. um, and so we had several volunteers for that. Scott and um, one of Travis's cousins and Travis's brother actually went horseback on some of the properties that, that had given them verbal permission to be there, um, and, and so they searched some of the properties on horseback. So there's been several efforts mm-hmm. in that regard. Okay. Several efforts at the time, right after he disappeared and after that too. Correct. All right. Um, you finally did get to look at the truck. Um, somehow it got out of the impound yard. Maybe you had to pay a fine or something like that. Uh, maybe that's not important, but you finally got to um, look at the truck uh, maybe your son, whose truck it was, got to look at it. W- w- how would you explain the overall condition of the truck? Well, um, that pickup was kind of a a work pickup. They used it to build fence. Um, it was it was a beat up little truck. Um, I had to pay to get it out of impound, but I also had to pay to have keys made for it. Um, the vehicle was locked, hmm. and so I had to have keys made for it. Um, to be able to get in it and even to to start it. So um, the pickup was, uh, it had some things in the back, a, a spare tire, some trash. Um, but it had been taken to Dewey County to be processed. Okay. After I paid for it to be out of impound and paid for keys to be made, the the wrecker service took it back to Dewey County. And when you say Dewey, so Dewey County, you mean the actual police department, the sheriff's office? Correct. All right. The one, the ones that blew you off before. (laughs) Correct. The ones that said you should go back to Elva. That's correct. Okay. And do you have any specific idea of what they did in the truck? Did they fingerprint anything like that? Or did they just kind of look at it and then let it go? Um, it was my understanding that they were going to fingerprint. Um, I don't know. I'm kind of unclear on whether they did that or OSBI did that. Um, okay. But they did search and, and nothing was found out of the ordinary in the pickup. Or okay. Now, one of the important points about this case is we also we have to remind – I'll remind the listeners that the truck was – uh, found the way I would explain it, it seems in an out-of-way point, but the listeners will make their own decision. But not only that, was it out of gas? Yes, it was. Okay. Knowing Travis the way you do, uh, it, does that surprise you? No. Okay. Please explain why. 
um, I've had to take a gas can and gas to him on on several occasions. Um, he was known for running on the back half of the gas tank. Mm. Um, so so it wasn't necessarily out of the ordinary to have to take him gas. Hmm. All right. So that's not so unusual, maybe. Uh, okay. Maybe it's unusual for me. I haven't run out of the gas in a vehicle in probably 20 years, so it might be unusual for us, right. but maybe for Travis, not as much, not as unusual. Right. And the truck, uh, once again, anything that you, maybe your son being that was son's truck, uh, anything he noticed that was unusual about it being that he would know the truck better than anybody else? Um, it was relatively clean, actually. Um, which was kind of surprising. Um, there was not a whole lot of um, like cups or um, any kind of food wrappers or anything in the vehicle, um, which was okay. kind of surprising to me. Okay. But there was, oh, we have to remember, Travis is missing. The truck was missing until it was found a few days later. His phone is missing, correct? The phone was not in the truck? That's correct. All no right. Phone. All right. And then he had a bag. An, backpack or something that he usually had with him that was not was never found either that's correct a duffel bag a duffel bag mm-hmm. all right anything so that was that was gone too never been located mm-hmm. yes all right so he made it clothes and whatever else in there so you could believe that it kind of looks like maybe he run, runs out of gas even though the truck is a little bit out of the way once again and he starts walking takes the bag locks the vehicle up and then calls Melanie after he runs out of gas. Of course, we know that she doesn't pick up. That's a a very, looks like a plausible scenario. Yes. All right. And then some, for some reason he never makes it to the bar and he vanishes. And that's why you and I are talking now. Um, Did the police ever look into his phone? Uh, Do we know that, that the last call that Travis made was to um, Melanie. Do we know that he called anybody else after that? What do we know about the phone, his phone? His phone, uh, that was the last phone call um, that I believe he made. Um, he had he was attempting to maybe get onto social media. It's like he was um, maybe on Messenger or something of that nature. Mm-hmm. Um when the phone actually died. Um, it had been pinged. Um, according to police, um, it had been pinged off of a cell tower in Fairview, Oklahoma. Huh. Yeah, that's uh, something that uh, you and I have talked about, and I talked about this with mm-hmm. Scott as well, is that uh, the listeners understand, of course, if they're listening to this episode while looking at the map, they're going to notice that uh, where his truck was found and Fairview are not really that close to each other. It's kind of weird, I have to admit. If that yeah. is, the, if they are telling you the last place his phone pinged off of was Fairview, you know, that's um, have in the last four and a half years, has anybody been able to explain that? No. All right. All right, so now that the truck was found and he was allegedly headed to Melanie's, uh, did OSBI, to your knowledge, ever talk to Melanie? 
um, asking her any questions about Travis's disappearance. I believe they have spoke with her, yes. Mm-hmm. And she, once again, will go over her story. She doesn't pick up the phone that night. Next morning, she gets the message, uh, really does not know what happened. And then a couple of days later, she's more than happy to let you and Scott listen to that message. Yes. And it is, and to your opinion, it is certainly Travis on the phone. Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, the, going back to the cell phone for a moment, have you gotten to see the records? Do they no. have the records? Um, of his cell phone? Yes. Um, I I don't know if they do. Um, it was a, a like a prepaid phone. Um, I I don't know if if those were ever obtained. To be honest, okay. I've never seen them. Okay, so you're not sure. It's possible. I'm not sure. We don't That's know. Correct. Uh, I would say that if um, if it was just a regular phone plan, then I would say it's very, very possible to get the records. But if it's one of those pay-as-you-go phones, it's going to be tough. If they haven't gotten them by now, it's going to be a little difficult. My, just my experience. Um, my experience. But okay. Um, so it's possible that he maybe called somebody else. When she didn't pick up, he might have called somebody else to pick him up. Uh, maybe he was trying to contact somebody through somebody uh, trying to contact somebody through social media, but to your knowledge, nobody has ever come forward since August 2014 to say, "Hey, yeah, Travis tried contacting me through Facebook." Has anybody ever done that? No, they have not. Okay. Now we've talked about Melanie. Let's go back to somebody we've already talked about. We're going to talk about Tony Howling Buffalo a little bit. Now this is important because once again. He says that he called Melanie um, the same night that she didn't pick up for Travis. She allegedly did pick up for Tony, who called approximately 20 minutes later. And it's important because Tony really doesn't live that far from where Travis Travis's truck was found. Right? That's correct. Okay. I, I, I think it's about seven miles. Not very far at all. Um, he has been asked about that night simply because he does know Travis, and they knew each other for decades because they rode bulls together. What does he say about what he did that night? Um, he said that he had been out looking for his dog. Um, I believe he had uh, taken his girlfriend to work. She works at a – or she did work at a – a convenience store um, and that was my understanding that he was looking for his dog so he admits being like out of the house that night and somewhere yes yeah but we doubt that a dog would run seven miles away <laughs> or nine miles or right. however far it was to right. Travis's truck but that is Tony's uh, story um, I guess he he never admits that he ever saw Travis that night, and really there's no proof that he saw Travis that night. That's correct. Okay. But can you uh, explain maybe the recent relationship between Tony and Travis the way you understand it? And first, please explain how would you even know about this? Um, 
Travis, when Travis was with April, Tony was dating Melanie, mm-hmm. and I think they would uh, hang out together of an evening and things. Um, I think that Travis spent when he wasn't working and living in I think he spent a significant amount of time uh, hanging out with Tony. Mm-hmm. Okay. So. And did Tony know that Travis was now having some kind of relationship with Melanie? I believe so, yes. He did know. All right, you suspect that he did know. Once again, you don't know Tony uh, personally, uh, well, but... Well, I've, I've been around him in the mm-hmm. rodeos. I mean, I've spoken with him mm-hmm. on numerous occasions, face-to-face and things like that. Um, but as far as knowing about all of his life, no. No. Have you ever had an opportunity to talk to him since Travis disappeared? I spoke with him one time on the on the phone. Can you detail that conversation? Um, he was rather incoherent. Um, I, I believe he was uh, intoxicated. Um, he had offered at one point in that conversation to give me money, to give me money to help, I guess, I'm assuming with, with my kids. Um, hmm. I, I told him I, I didn't need his money, per se. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I just needed answers. Um, and so, um, mm. that was kind of the, the conversation. Um, okay. he, he told me that of course he didn't have anything to do with this and, um, and that he was real sorry we were going through that and that he offered me money. Okay. All right. And we're, you know, we have to remember you said he seemed to be high or drunk or something. So we really don't know if anything that he was saying was serious or not. He might've just been saying he was going right. to give you money because he was drunk. Maybe. Or or maybe yeah. he was really trying he to be nice. Okay. Um, you said that the police have talked to Tony Howling Buffalo about Travis's disappearance? Yes. yes. Okay. And have they asked him to take a polygraph test about Travis's disappearance? They have. Okay. And has tra- Tony done that? No. Any reason, to to your knowledge? Not rumors, um, but to your knowledge. No. Um, I had, well, that's a rumor. I, I won't go there then. <laughs> okay. Um, no. to your knowledge, just to your knowledge, he has not taken a polygraph test. That's correct. All right. We, we're not sure why he hasn't. Maybe he doesn't feel like he has to, or we, we just don't know. But to your knowledge, OSB, OSBI has never told you that he took a polygraph test. That's correct. Okay. Does do you even know why OSBI ever talked to Tony in the first place? Um, I I believe because he had said he had been down that road and was looking for his dog that night. Okay, that was enough uh, to get them interested in him. Uh, of course, maybe they found out then that Tony and Travis knew each other. Do you think it also could have been for the effect, the reason that um, OSBI found out that? Tony and Melanie used to be a thing, and then Travis and Melanie were now a thing. Is that yes? Is that possible? I, I believe that would be a a part of it. Yes. Okay. Does Tony Howling Buffalo have a criminal record? Yes. Okay. And yeah, listeners can check that out for themselves. All right. So we're just not sure what to think. Um, does live kind of close, seven to nine miles away. 
Um, Melanie claims that Tony called her that night, and if she picked up the phone at 10.30, then she would have realized that Travis wasn't there yet. Hard to say. But she did volunteer uh, that Tony called her. She didn't have to say that, but she did. Let's talk about Melanie again. Uh, Has her story for the night that Travis disappeared uh, stayed consistent um, as far as her alibi goes? Um, I have heard her report different versions. Um, I, I have not personally had contact with her since about two weeks after Travis went missing. Hmm. Um, she was, she was calling Travis's mother and talking to Travis's mother about hers and Tony's, um, continued drama and, my mother-in-law, my ex-mother-in-law had called me crying, asking me to have her stop because she wasn't interested in Tony's and Melanie's drama. She was interested in finding her son. Of course. And so I I called on behalf of Travis's mother mm-hmm. to have Melanie stop calling her. All right. And what happened? I, I have, um, she, of course tried to tell me the significance that she had in Travis's life um, and that of course I'm, I'm the ex-wife uh-huh. um, and so so you know honoring my wishes was not a part of her concern um, she ended up uh, blocking me from both her phone and social media and not that I had really attempted to contact her anymore um, I, I really had nothing to say to her um, I just needed her to leave uh, Travis's mother alone. Okay, but because of that, you calling her, uh, she blocked you, and you haven't talked to her since. That's correct. Well, I say that I I had a text conversation with her about a week and a half ago. You did? Mm-hmm. Okay. And what was the content of that conversation? I asked her to agree to the polygraph if she wanted to clear her name. Okay, and what'd she say? F off. <laughs> okay. Well, that's blunt. <laughs> yes. Well, that's blunt. Um, I, I cleaned that up a little bit. I I, um. I, I think the <laughs> listeners caught that, Christy. Thank you. Okay. Um, is there so, – so let's uh, just put this on the record. So Tony has not taken a polygraph, and Melanie, uh, are you saying that she hasn't taken a polygraph either regarding Travis's disappearance. That's correct. Okay. All right. Um, any idea why she was calling Travis's mother? And what do you mean by drama? Can, uh, did uh, Travis's mother ever give you uh, specifics on that? Not really. Just that her and Tony were uh, not getting along. I don't know. She she was talking about. Um, him continuing to contact her and um and, and that I she didn't specify. Okay. So she just said drama. So something yeah. Maybe Melanie was distraught about Travis disappearing and she just wanted to vent on and then Travis's mother just didn't want to hear it. So being Correct. that you were not a, a party to the conversation, I of course was not um but the best that Travis's mother could do was drama. Quote unquote drama. Yes. All right. Yeah. Um, has Melanie's, well, the way you understand it, 
um, has her alibi for that night changed? Did she say that she was alone, and then later she claimed that her son was with her? That's correct. All right. How did you find that all out? Um, she she had indicated that she was home alone when when she spoke to us mm-hmm. four and a half years ago, or you know when it first started. Okay. Um, about three weeks ago, um, Oklahoma cold cases ran a Facebook um, documentary, and Melanie and both her son commented on some of the comments of that post and her son and her both indicated that they were together that night home together as opposed to her being alone all right so when you or scott and or scott got to talk to her um on the phone or face to face not long after travis disappeared she claimed she was home alone but now just a few weeks ago she's claiming that her son was with her that's correct okay all right, well, maybe it might be a mistake. Maybe she's misremembering. I'm not sure, but that, that if she posted it, then it's on the record now. Okay. So well, she has since deleted. She has since deleted those. Oh, she has. Okay. Yes, she, she has deleted all of her comments. I believe her sons are still on there. All right, well, let's move on to this, and we'll just go back to okay. Travis himself. Um, okay. You know, there. It, once again, my perception, and the listeners know we don't uh, theorize on this show as to what could have happened and, and everything, but it does seem weird to me that in the message that you and Scott heard, he claimed that he was in Canton, but his truck was found really not in Canton. Canton was close, but I wouldn't say it was in Canton, not the way I would understand it. And the truck was found not on the way to the bar or to Melanie's. And then on top of that, his phone, the last ping that we know of, was off a tower in Fairview, which is even farther away than Canton. So um, is there any possibility and I know you've had four and a half years to talk about this, that this was some sign of kind of misdirection by Travis, that he maybe walked off. Um, Would you ever say that he could have been depressed about something? Maybe his addictions were back to getting the better of him. You've had a lot of chance to think about that. And once again, you were married to him for approximately 10 years. What do you think? Um, I had seen him at some pretty low times in his life um, where that may have have been a possibility for him. I don't believe this was one of those times. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he was very active with his kids. Um, he had a job. He had a, his own house again. Uh, things were really looking up for him. And I, I don't feel that that would have been an answer for him at this point in his life. So you totally dismiss the idea that maybe there was, once again, there was some misdirection because there is a case um, that probably I will talk about in my summation that reminds me a lot of Travis's case uh, that happened, I believe, in Minnesota for a young man um, much younger than Travis, where he said he was one place, but then his car was found in a totally different place. Uh, And I will talk about that in the summation, but you do not believe this was some sort of misdirection. Yeah, some sort okay. of 
plan of some type. Okay. All right. Um, as we started, when we started this conversation out, you are the ex-wife of Travis. Uh, what has this yeah. been like for you? And uh, if you can say the man in your life now, how does he feel about uh, the women in his life um, working so hard, so diligently, going in such in depth, and I know you've done on, in other interviews for her ex-husband. Um, well, it's been it's been really really hard um, for me and for the kids. I um, as a mother, it's kind of my job to fix things in their life that hurt them, and this is one that I have not been able to to fix. Yeah. And um, so that absolutely has been the worst part for me. I've watched my children suffer um, panic attacks, um, issues with depression. I've watched my children have um, night terrors, um, and it's just devastating for them, and it's horrible for me to have to witness that. Um, my current person in my life, he has um, been very supportive and um very patient with me um, <laughs> and mm -hmm. he you know he has walked through pastures in 105 degree heat looking for a man that we didn't think was out there and um and he never has left my side in that so um it's very admirable to to um have that person with me so um he has been a a very good support for me um and has been, you know, he, he also knew Travis, mm -hmm. um, from, from rodeoing as well. And so, um, he, um, he has just been very supportive to both me and my, and my children. That's excellent. That's good to hear because, uh, you know, the situation here is fairly unique. You mm -hmm. know, I yes, think sir. that, uh, the listeners know that most of, I mean, I, I was looking recently, we haven't had a, and this is not planned. This is just the way it works out. Uh, that we haven't had a male guest on Unfound since I think last April. So since then, it's been all women, and most mm -hmm. of the time it's been uh, the mothers, you know, of missing children. And then I think maybe after that it's brothers and sisters, and then maybe after it's children, uh, you know, who have parents that have gone missing. So I think that you're f the first ex-wife. So uh, we we had a mother-in-law, an ex-mother-in-law, I think, that was on the program. I think that would have in Lacey Buenfield's case from back in maybe September, October, 2018, but you're the first ex-wife. And so I thought it was important uh, to me, you know, to talk a little bit about that mm -hmm. uh, because I'm sure you realize some ex-husbands and ex-wives are suspects in disappearances. Right. And here you are, you're on the totally other end. You're actually, you know, trying to solve it, you know, doing the best you can as a private citizen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He would, he would do it for me, just like I said at first. Yeah. Um, Travis and I, um, despite us being divorced and having our issues, uh, you know, we were we were friends. Um, mm -hmm. so. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I'm guessing this is um, not just taking an emotional toll on you, but it, it takes a lot of time. Too, yes. you know the yes. the time that you devoted to this over the last four and a half years, maybe driving yes. down to the Canton area, you know, and other places, and the searches, and like you said, going over there, maybe to Sealing or wherever to, 
uh, you know, the sheriff's department, et cetera. Mm-hmm. You know, you can put a lot of emotional work in this, but I'll have time and money in into this as well. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And how old are Travis's and your the two children you have together? How old are they now? Uh, twenty one and sixteen. Twenty one and sixteen. Okay. Um, you do have a do you have a um I would first of all, I mean you should know that I found out about this case from some people who did contact me. Uh, that uh, took an interest in uh, Travis's case uh, there in Oklahoma, and we've covered a few other disappearances in Oklahoma since Unfound got started. And I, I appreciate those people who contacted me. And do you have a Facebook page or website, anything like that, set up for Travis and his disappearance? I do not. Um, I have okay. just been posting on my personal. Facebook page hmm. um, about once a week for four and a half years. Okay. Um, sometimes it's more often. Sometimes it's a little more sporadic. Um, but for the most part, um, I've just used my own. Um, that would probably mm-hmm. be something I would need to do, actually. <laughs> That's probably – that should be fairly high on your to-do list. I mean, yeah. you certainly do not have to take any of my – my instructions, I'm not trying to give work to you. I know it's been a lot of work so far. And, I, of course, I hope that Travis is found alive, uh, you know, tonight or tomorrow at the latest. But my recommendation would be to plan to start a Facebook page. That's going to raise the awareness. It's going to, when people go to Google and maybe search his name, it's going to raise his profile. Okay? Okay. Uh, quite a bit so more people can learn about it. And on top of that, I know that Travis's case is not on um, my friend Megan Good's website, charlieproject.org, which is a huge missing persons database. Okay. Uh, so I will – I don't run the website, but Megan is a very good friend of mine. Uh, I will put it in her ear that she needs to start a page for Travis. She has like 10,000 cases on there. So I also think that it's important that he be on there, so I will put it in – uh, her ear that you know she'll get some pictures and she'll put together a profile and do a bio and all the circumstances of his disappearance and that'll raise the profile of Travis's case as well. All right, so I'll make that I can make that happen for you. Okay. You. Once again, not my website, but uh, this has happened before where you know I'll cover a case and then Megan will get the case put up on her site. So we need to do that. Um, any last words before we conclude this interview, Christy? Um, no, just, um, just that I greatly appreciate your help. Um, you know, this has taken such a toll on our lives and, um, at, it seems at my, at my lowest point, something happens to where I feel rejuvenated with a you know with a sense of hope and it's times like this um i can't tell you how grateful the kids and i are and and the rest of his family and friends for your help you're very welcome christy uh you know you now part of the unfound family uh which means now there are many people all over the united states now know about travis uh you know that i work uh, w- with uh, my listeners, you know, they send me ideas. I uh, conduct a think tank every Sunday night with 
um, some Patreon people who support the program, and we go through all the facts and everything. They give their opinions and their insights because my listeners are very knowledgeable on missing persons case stuff. We're covering 120 of them. Um, my listeners know a lot. You know, they know a lot of different cases, compare and contrast. And I'll certainly be talking to them about Travis's disappearance. They'll be looking at the maps and giving their opinions. And, of course, I will pass that all along to you. All right? All right? And we'll talk about it, of course, privately. But once you're part of the Unfound family, I'm sorry to tell you, Christy, but there's no getting out. Okay. That's great. Okay. All right. So you always have me and my assistance as people to uh, help you. You know, but once again, we hope this case is solved um, as quickly as possible. And I hope Travis is out there somewhere alive. But I want to uh, thank Thank you. you. You're welcome. And I want to thank you for being on this episode of Unfound. Thank you. You're welcome. And that was my interview with Christy Murrow, ex-wife of Travis Murrow. I thank her for joining me and all of you on this episode. As I stated during the interview, I also got to speak to a longtime friend of Travis's. His name is Scott. He has been very instrumental in trying to figure out what happened to Travis. In fact, as was stated, Scott was one of the few people to get to hear the message Travis left with Melanie. Here are the most important items Scott mentioned in my conversation with him. I will comment on these points and the interview after this list. Upon hearing the message... Scott said that Travis didn't sound scared. He didn't sound if he was high or drunk. He just sounded a little ticked off. He said he was in Canton, and he told Melanie to meet him at the Seven Mile Bar. He said nothing about running out of gas, and he said nothing about walking. Travis said for her to call him back because Travis's phone was about to die, or to meet him at the Seven Mile Bar, which is now called the Country Inn. But Scott said that Travis would not drive directly through Canton, because Travis had warrants and he was afraid of the local cops catching him and taking him to jail. Scott believes Travis took a road near Canton Lake from Fairview. Scott said that Travis's truck was parked 100 yards east of the road that goes directly south to the Seven Mile Bar. This is approximately four miles north of the Seven Mile Bar on Indian Road. OSBI told Scott that phone pings showed Travis rode around in Fairview near the tiny airport there, for an hour and a half. But Scott has very little confidence that these investigators know what they're talking about. Melanie told Scott that Travis called her after leaving Enid, so this would be earlier in the evening. He said he got behind on time because he was talking to Charlie Edwards, a guy who is known to talk. But Charlie Edwards claims he never saw Travis that day. Scott says he doesn't know if he believes Melanie or Charlie. Plus, Charlie doesn't live near Enid or Fairview and doesn't live on the way to Canton. But he kind of does live on the way to Sealing, Oklahoma, which could be the alternate route that Travis took that evening. Scott got to speak to the person who owns the land next to where Travis's truck was found. He says he saw a man who looked to be Native American get out of a ditch on his property the morning after Travis disappeared. He got out of the ditch, then wiped himself off. But it seems the landowner never asked the guy what he was doing there. However, Scott is open to the idea that the landowner could be getting his days wrong. Christy and Scott differ on their opinion on the direction Travis took. Christy believes Travis went west from Fairview to Chester, then to Sealing, 
to try to see April, who lived in Sealing. This would then kind of make the Charlie Edwards story believable. Scott believes Travis went south from Fairview, toward Canton, and this would be in line with what Travis said, that he was in Canton when he called Melanie. Tony and Travis were not getting along at the time of Travis's disappearance, allegedly due to Travis seeing Melanie. Scott went to Tony Holling Buffalo's house and talked to him about Travis. Tony claimed to know nothing. The guy Travis sold his truck to is a known drug dealer. His name is Jeff. Jeff would never tell Scott how much money he gave Travis for the truck. Jeff claims Travis was drunk when he left his house in Enid. When Scott got to talk to the local sheriff, who is supposed to be in charge of this disappearance, the sheriff said, quote, Travis is shacked up with some old skank. He'll be back soon. The sheriff was more concerned about throwing Travis in jail for his warrants than actually finding him because his family was concerned about him. And those were my notes from talking with Scott. Yes, lots of info to be added to what we already learned from the interview. Since this is an audio program, I don't want to keep referencing the map, the locations, etc., because I know most of you listen while you're in the car or at the gym or somewhere where you can't listen and look at a screen at the same time. So I'm going to keep my summation of Travis's case fairly simple. Here are my points. The easiest way to understand Travis's movements on August 24, 2014, is that he shouldn't have been out on Indian Road that night. According to what we know about his intentions for that night, and we know that mostly from his son who said that Travis intended on seeing Melanie or April that night, it doesn't make logical sense for his truck to be out there. However, he might have gone for a joyride or was drunk and got lost, we don't know. But logically, logically, he shouldn't have been out there. I also find it hard to believe that Tony could be driving down Indian Road encounter somebody walking on that road, and it just happened to be Travis. That is a heck of a coincidence. Instead, if Tony met Travis, it was because Melanie told Tony that Travis was out there. Well, what's the problem with that? Well, the message that Travis left with Melanie is the problem with that. Travis doesn't say exactly where he is. All he said was Canton. He didn't say Indian Road. So, how would Tony know where to find Travis with such a vague description? My next point, what to make of Melanie saying that Travis told her that he talked to Charlie Edwards, while Charlie says he never saw Travis? I don't know. Somebody is lying, and it very well could be Travis himself. The biggest issue I have with this entire case is the phone message. Both Christy and Scott, two believable people, have similar recollections of the message they heard. Travis never said he ran out of gas. Travis never said he was walking. So the only thing that makes sense is he wasn't out of gas at the time he made the call. And he wasn't walking at the time he made the call. In addition, he said he was in Canton, which any way you look at it, he would have been only like seven minutes from the bar. But... He winds up on Indian Road many miles out of his way. On top of everything else, we don't know how Travis spent his time from 6.30 p.m. to 10 p.m. during a drive that should have taken under 90 minutes. So, how did Travis get from there to there? 
Of course, we will be talking about all of this and many other points regarding Travis's case this Sunday night at 7 p.m. Eastern on Patreon during the Unfound Think Tank. That's for patrons at the $12 a month level and above. I hope to see you there. Until then, I'll leave the theorizing up to you. And that's the program. If you found it informative, please go to the app that you use to listen to Unfound and give this podcast a nice review. I thank you for listening. I'm Ed Denzel, and you've been listening to Unfound.